0: Bitcoin fixes the money. The Beef Initiative fixes the food and nutrition. Step into some new awareness that incorporates some much needed food intelligence into your life. This is Texas Slim with Texas Slim's vision. Hey guys, Texas Slim. We're back here today on our brand new video podcast. We're going to have a new YouTube channel. And I have a special guest. We have the pod Father himself, Adam Curry. Uh, Adam and I have been uh, talking with each other for about, uh, not only several months. We've become good friends, and I decided to uh, go ahead and ask him to be on the inaugural video of the Beef Initiative podcast. And so, hey, Adam, how you doing today?
1: My brother Slim, this is the inaugural and you have me on it. I am very honored, really am. Man, I I couldn't have anybody else on, you know that. (laughs) And and I do want to uh, uh, have people understand that we really are friends. We're friends to such a level that we actually share our shopping tips of where to get the best Levi's. Uh, You know, so (laughs) we are, we're that, that, that level of friendship.
0: We really are. And it is, people don't understand, you know, these days, you know, I'm slim, right? And you're, you're slim too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it is hard to find jeans to no wear boots, man. It's impossible anymore. You know, you can find a 4230, but you can't find a 30.
1: <laughs> and I have a uh, 30, was it 3236? Yeah. Which I is it's a hard I'm one. A yeah, it is. It's impossible. So, you
0: know, that's a good bond to have. And, you know, we're going to, you know, we're gonna to stick to that. So, well, hey, thanks for being here, uh, Adam. You know, a lot of things have transpired from the first time that we talked. You, you know, I came out to your place. I guess it was fall of last year, and uh, you had found me. I guess through maybe Marty. You know, Marty bent and uh, how, Del- how how did that
1: happen? Did uh, did Marty put us in a chat together? I think he something did. like that happened. Yeah,
0: yeah, he did. I I wrote that first article, and Marty kind of reached out to me and say, "Hey, let's get on a podcast." And mm-hmm. we did that first podcast. With within him, with him and about five minutes after we were done with that podcast, he was, uh, he cr- created a group chat and then here we are you know, we just kind of took with it and ran. And that's something that I like a lot of people to understand is it's a form of decentralized communication that we can do as uh, individuals that are trying to make a difference in our lives. You know, we're about decentralization. I mean, you've got, you you know, podcasting 2.0, you know, moving forward with the Beef Initiative, what I've been doing is kind of signaling out we need some sound money, we need some sound health, sound communication for a sound future
1: you know what's so great about that is and i've of course i've been following your communication so i'm just adjusting everything i'm seeing my sure. eyes are looking in a weird direction <laughs> um it's a podcast we can do whatever we want Hell yeah um the way you tie uh the the kind of bitcoin culture to uh to food and to beef It's really good, you know, because, you know, sound money, you have this whole rap, which I love, I can't even do it, but it's just like, holy crap, this makes so much sense. And I think it really hits hits people at their core, you know, it's, it's very effective what you're doing. It's
0: funny because it did. It start, you know, to give a little backstory, you and I've talked a little bit about it. You know, you and I are about the same age. We're in our fifties. Uh, we're the same generation, generational X. We come from different backgrounds and everything. Uh, I've had a pretty successful career off and on in, you know, technology, but I come from, I come from dirt. I come from West Texas. I know agriculture. I know ranching. And, you know, I woke up one day and I said, Hey, I've got to kind of get a little bit deeper in here, use another skill set to help discover, you know, some stuff that I know that's going wrong in our nation. Mm -hmm. So that's when I said, I'm going to embed myself in a harvest company and I'm going to go check out what's going on in the agricultural apparatus that we're living in. You know, we see the health issues and everything. I wanted to get to the source of the seed and that's how it all started. That phrase right there made me really, you know, have some agency and some intentionality to say, you're going to look at everything that you you touch from here on out and finding out the source of the seed of the issues. Once we do that, oh, yeah. we can create a source of the seed of a solution. So you can't bitch and moan with, you know, about things unless you provide solutions. Here we are with the beef initiative and it's evolved into that. And it's, it's taken not very long, six months, I, I guess. And here we are, we're talking about the vertical integration of a decentralized food system in the state of Texas.
1: And and let's just, um, and, I, and I think it's important to point out where we're both coming from, although you, you already really summed it up. What I noticed uh, a couple of years back as I was starting to uh, understand Bitcoin better, because um, I had, you know, I'd known about Bitcoin, I've held Bitcoin for a long time, never really understood it, you know, sold a lot way too early. So I've, I've had a, a long road and a really solid education of uh, reward and pain in that regard. So understanding, you know, just understanding the Bitcoin standard and, uh, and sound money. And what I, as I was uh, working on podcasting 2.0 and figuring out how to do this, you know, real-time value for value streaming of, uh, of Satoshis uh, with the Lightning Network, this is when I started meeting all of these 25 to 35-year-old, mainly men who had a similar story and they were all in Bitcoin, but the, the story was similar was the social contract was broken. We you know, were born in the in the 90s um, uh, during the, the first Gulf War, which, you know, this stuff does impact kids when, uh, when it's on television around you and, and, you know, regardless. So it kind of, as like a base layer. Then we had 9-11, very traumatic for everybody, especially for now 10, 11-year-olds. Um, and then we, you know, we had anthrax and, you know, the terror, uh, you know, the airport security, all kinds of things ratcheting up. Um, then we uh, had, you know, yellow cake and aluminum tubes and we invaded the wrong country. And oops, you know, what is this about? And then it just kept on going. Now these, these, these young people are going into college. And then 2008 to 2009, we have a huge financial meltdown. They're seeing friends, uh, families getting kicked out of homes, all this weird stuff, um, as they're just about to uh, enter the workforce themselves. And uh, but don't worry, because we're going to fix it. We'll take care of it. The financial uh, system is sound. It's all good. No worries. And then they came out of college uh, with you know with degrees that actually weren't all that useful in many cases, and they're working at fifteen or even less a dollar an hour jobs, and like and and with no with no real prospect, and they just instead of engaging in a in a broken system, they started checking out, and that checking out, what I identified was where they check into Bitcoin, and I found this so fascinating and so sad at the same time, and I felt remorse because our generation, and I'm uh, Gen X with Boomer tendencies, so I'm right on the cusp there from '64. I, the 80s and 90s was fantastic for uh, for me you know I, I was at a nice house raising a family i was working i had you know uh, a great multiple careers um uh, just making money fantastic nothing can go wrong and i wasn't paying attention to who was getting on the school board or the city council you know that was obviously for losers who couldn't get a better gig and by not paying attention and i have a stepdaughter who just turned 25 and she went to University of Arkansas, and I see what she was taught coming out of there. And I just put it all together and went, holy crap, we need to jump in and uh, mentor, offer our experience, uh, whatever advice. And I think that's exactly where you're coming from as well. Um, and uh, that's really my mission now is just how can I, and, and in my case, I have a job. My job is to protect podcasting. Uh, you have a job you know you're doing food intelligence um, we need more and uh, and I think that uh, the beauty of this is that Bitcoin uh, just by being a Bitcoiner gives us a level of uh, comfort and uh, recognition uh, without even having met someone or really knowing someone. So it's very easy to to build these networks and to work together um, to create, what I think is just America 2.0, which is not a geographic location anymore. And that's what Bitcoin is doing.
0: Yeah, it really, you know, it's an ethos. And whenever I got into Bitcoin, you know, my journey, you know, was... Is, is as yours was you know the 80s the 90s being able to reflect on basically the last 30
1: years of yeah but I, you were a studio 54 guy with the assless chaps weren't you <laughs> i saw you on the floor don't don't dox me that bad now. come on <laughs> well it's
0: because you were playing playing the disco music I mean, exactly that's what was <laughs> Woo! Come on. i was a hippie punk cowboy man what are you talking about
1: i know i'm just i'm <laughs> just messing with you brother no, but,
0: no i grew up with disco uh shag carpet burn orange shag Carpet, uh, listening to Donna Summer, you know all that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. so I can relate. Yes, I can relate. So, (laughs) um, you know, throughout those years, though, you know, we went through a lot of deception that we weren't paying attention to, like you just said. And whenever I wrote that first article, the harvest of deception.
1: Right. That that was it. Yeah. The yeah. first article. And, that,
0: and that's what this is about. This is about the harvest of deception and how generations have been lied to. And what I tell people, and one of my big phrases is that Bitcoin exposes the truth. If you want to dive down into it and you want to look at the ethos of Bitcoin, the protocol itself, you're going to go down a rabbit hole and create an algorithm that anything that you're touching in your life, you're going to be able to expose that deception. If there is deception, it is being leading with truth or lies. Guess what? You've got a new form of intelligence that you can bring to the table to any conversation. Once you do that, you know, you find out what you want to point your compass at. Mindless food.
1: It's so, you know, when I hear you say that, I'm just like, yes, absolutely. For people who are watching or listening, if if you didn't understand what, what Slim just said, that's because you haven't quite understood Bitcoin. And it, it sounds it, it sounds aloof and arrogant and... It's, you know, people are always saying, explain Bitcoin. You have to actually do some of that work yourself. I don't think anyone can explain Bitcoin to you. But once you understand it, which is really the understanding of sound money and, you know, the biggest deception is uh, the central banking system. So when you, when you, when you see that, what Bitcoin does through, through the proof that it can be done differently and honestly and, um, uh, and verifiably it rewires your brain. It rewires your brain to look, and and this is why it was easy for me to understand Bitcoin. Once, See, I I'm always looking for the conspiracy. I'm a cons- conspiracy therapist. This is what I do for a living, and so I was looking for the conspiracy with Bitcoin. Didn't found it and gave up. Um, but uh, so th- so it actually hurt me because I, I'm already kind of wired in the right way. Once you uh, understand how sound money and Bitcoin works versus fiat and the central banking system, that puts your brain, it, it, the synapses are created, I'm not quite sure what it does, and then it all becomes clear. It is, it is, a, it is absolutely miraculous the way that works.
0: It's pretty amazing. Whenever you were saying that, what got me going down that rabbit hole was, you know, I've had the discussions with you. I'm pretty beat up. You know, (laughs) I have a lot of broken bones and metal in my, you know, body and all that kind of stuff. But I got laid up a couple of years ago and, you know, I had to look at everything again. it's like, Hey, I'm getting older. I can't be doing this to my body. I had an internal injury. I needed to watch my diet. So I said, well, I'm going to look at food. And um, then I was looking at food, but I found Bitcoin. I said, well, I'm going to look at these things together. And by that kind of that traumatic experience in my life, I was able to basically uncover that they could be symbiotic as far as my research and as far as the solutions together and having them work together in that type of pattern of knowledge gaining in that research they do work together. And, you know, that's what is fascinating about understanding Bitcoin. Once you do get down to that base layer of understanding of it, you can really tie it to something else in your life that you might have had traumas in or that you might need to understand a little bit deeper. It'll help you disseminate that uh, discovery in a way that your brain gets rewired, just like you said.
1: Yeah, and, and, and for people who are just hearing this, uh, uh, the Bitcoin standard is a, is a fantastic book to read, but there's also, um, I think Nick Sabo, he wrote the history of money. Uh, and that is something you should definitely read because when you understand the history of money, you understand that it wasn't always this, you know, paper dollar or coins in your pocket or data in Venmo, you know, it goes back to rice and, uh, and notches on sticks and, and some of that is still around with us today. You know, how much did you shout for that? Well, the shell comes from shells being used in uh, in, in early America in New York. Um, how many clams did you lay out for that same thing? Clam shells. So all these things. Um, that's and this is hundreds of years ago, and we still have those terms in our language. So money has changed throughout history, um, uh, and and when you see the the pebbles and the shells and uh, and understand why that didn't work, then it becomes very clear, oh, this is why our money system doesn't work. And then the the lies, the incredible lies, right up to as recent as this week, where um, uh, the, the government, uh, with the federal, well, with the Federal Reserve, but the, the government is the marketing arm in this case, uh, are talking about inflation, and they have actually now, just to make it sound a little less bad, They've made up the well, they brought they've they've pulled an old term out of the closet, which is headline inflation. And then, but, you know, core inflation is really only six percent uh, and headline inflation, which is headlines, which is just meant to have you click. It's not that important. That's where food and where energy is, is jammed. Uh, and so they're making it look like this is purely a consumer price issue or index as, as the CPI is where the numbers literally come from. Um, but they obfuscate the real problem, which is uh, by inflating. That's where the term inflation comes from. The money supply, and that was in the in the trillions—eight, nine, ten trillion. God knows how much, really. Um, and and you get that understanding, uh, you'll you'll enjoy the ride. So it, I just I, for some reason today am after the Miami conference. I I back up. A lot, I zoomed out a little, and like. Sometimes you got to stop and help people understand what we're talking about. Because if you just look at the Bitcoin 2022 conference and you have no idea what you're doing, you're like, these people are, are speaking, they're speaking in tongues. I have no idea what they're saying.
0: Yeah, it, it is. It's kind of intimidating. It's confusing. And, you know, there's not a lot of on ramps of understanding in the beginning of, of Bitcoin. Or I maybe too a, many. Or, yeah, too many. It's it's daunting, basically. Yeah. It is daunting trying to do that discovery and knowing where to start. Where is that foot in the door of understanding? Uh, I went through it. Everybody goes through that because there's so many people out there LARPing, you know, just trying to make money off the Bitcoin, you know, basically, um, I guess, marketing plan that people devise this is a good question to ask because i'll expose myself here as well you know you've made some money in your life you've been you know poor you've been you've had a little cash in your pocket what was your understanding of money whenever you first got into bitcoin what was your your kind of fundamental like hey this is how i leverage money or this is how i leverage currency was it broad or was it something that you needed work on
1: uh I have I've had a cursory knowledge of the Federal Reserve for 15 years um, and understand you know, fractional reserve banking and definitely understood, you know, that it was uh, a, a scammy system. But I, I didn't really focus. I guess here's a better way to answer it. Uh, so, yes, I've been poor. I've been very wealthy. I've had all kinds of great shit. I've spent lots of money. Um, but my understanding of money was uh, I was not a saver. I've never been a saver. It was always cash flow and I've always had great cash flow. I can, I can hustle. I can do five jobs. I, and I you know, I, I have a, I developed a way to manage my finances just uh, visually in my head. Okay. I got much, that much over there. You know um, if I do this now and then in a couple more months, I'll save that for taxes, you know, just kind of like a, just really not a saver guy, always uh, paying more than I should for the hotel room, more than I should for the airline, more than I should for the food, more than I should. You know, Never saving, always, great cash flow. And by the way, great life, had a have had a great time. Sometimes it was more money, but I've, I've not really been a buy a Lambo, or anything like this. It's like, okay, I wanna learn how to fly a helicopter uh, because I need to go somewhere on a regular basis and I'll buy the helicopter. Uh, but it wasn't like, oh man, look at me! I got a helicopter. Just that's just not who I am. Sure. Uh, I don't really wear fancy clothes or anything like that. It's, you know, I just want good stuff. And the things that I use every single day, like shoes, mattress, these things have to be uh, these things have to be top notch. And that's really the extent of it. Um, and of course, that's a very limited plan because although I can. Probably work and have cash flow for the rest of my life as long as my voice keeps working and the brain is 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 ticking away. Um, it's not a great strategy because I also really never owned a lot of stuff. So yeah, I've had houses, but I've the last twenty years I rented uh, until uh, uh, I met Tina the keeper, and she went like the "fuck is wrong with you," and so <sighs> she straight she she straightened me. But it, but it's interesting because it was twenty fifteen. This came around the same time as, my, uh, as me starting to get back into Bitcoin and understanding it. And so, um, what Bitcoin has done has made me question what I'm doing. And since we put uh, all of our, pretty much all of our savings into Bitcoin, um, spending that it becomes a, a whole dialogue you have with yourself, or even if you just have some fiat money. Should I leave this here in the bank account? Should I buy that thing we were talking about? Do we take that trip we were talking about? Do I put it in Bitcoin? Uh, and, and and what are the reasons? And if I put it in Bitcoin now, what will it be in five years? In 10 years? What will it be short term? All of these things, now I'm making financial decisions, but I'm making it uh, based on truth and based on what I consider to be uh, you know, uh, one of the most um, I can't, I can't even get there. We'll, we'll have to talk some more, <laughs> sure. but, but it's, it, it's, this is really, this has changed my life significantly. And what was fantastic was to see Tina, who is, um, the exact opposite. She is preventative, you know, like I, I want to get the oil change done uh, a week before I even need it. You know, it's like uh dentist uh, every, uh, every three months, which I could do every month, you know, and then saving. Yeah. And, and she had, you know, um, a retirement account and she has 401ks and she's been very diligent throughout her life. But when she started to understand Bitcoin, I mean, she's like, man, maybe I should roll this over into Bitcoin. You know? So so it's working from both sides, both the 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 cash flow spender guy and the saver both see the benefit.
0: Yeah, they really do. What what you just said, basically the long and the short of it in my uh, simple mind here is that what I learned is how to look at true ownership again. You know, did I ever really know what ownership was? You know, we we have to own our actions. We have to own our decisions. We have to own our relationships. And, you know, with the fiat dollar, as much as it is debased, it's based on a debt economy. Of course, we know that. And as it debases more and the debt economy grows and grows throughout my lifetime, you know, the 80s uh, savings loans industry debacle. You know, when I was a child, that really destroyed my small town
1: that I grew up in Texas. Yeah, people don't realize that because it it was really a Texas thing, right? Yeah, Yeah, it was. Mainly a Texas thing. Just, just tell people about this because it's so, it's so poorly understood and it was really the first cover up uh probably of our of our adult life well you we were, you were both kids no we We were right yeah we were teenagers teenagers yeah yeah
0: you were you are a couple years older than me in 86 I was what 17 something like that and this was
1: Bush family related wasn't it it was
0: Bush family related he was vice Mm -hmm. president during the time that that kind of picked up Steen and then uh, basically the big cover up came you know with Iran Contra savings and loan industry debacle Uh, my stepmother actually worked as a savings and loan my grandfather the, the land that he had owned all the way from, I guess his his land ownership started in about 19, mid 1915, something like that. And so all the land that we had uh, acquired as a family went away in the 80s as well, because that's when you had Willie Nelson with farm aid, you know, the farmers took a big hit, you know, the savings and loan industry was basically a big debasement of the dollar. I mean, it was one of the biggest financial um debacles that our country had seen since basically going off the gold standard it hit the farmer it hit the producers really hard it hit small towns really hard i grew up in a texas panhandle and that's all in the you know, texas panhandle are just ranching in grain towns did everyone
1: <laughs> lose their money because the banks would bankrupt what what yeah. exactly
0: happened people lost their houses they lost their money and they lost their land.
1: And there, was, and there was no bailout for people, only bailout for the savings and loans. Out The only
0: people got bailed out was the savings and loan because the savings and loan industry was brand new. And that was the engineering of the Bush family. Right. Well, so that, you know, that it all ties together. And you're right. A lot of people have no clue that that was kind of a big kickoff to where we ended up, especially with the housing industry. The, the times that we've had to have these bailouts. And, you know, being a teenager in Texas at that time, you know, you have your county squares, you have some vibrance to those small towns, you know, growing up in little towns outside of uh, Texas were that were close to where my grandparents were, were Kittiquay, Texas. Floyd Ada, Texas, Lockney, Texas. Well, those towns used to be thriving. They used to have a decentralized way of sourcing their money and sourcing their food. And so I was able to reflect on that saying, you know, I've been dealing with this my whole life. Whenever I left Canyon, Texas at, you know, 18 years old and road trip to Austin, Texas with $150 in my pocket, my town was dead. There was a university here called West Texas State University. And basically they got bailed out by the a system and they've been part of the a and system since the early 90s. So it hit everything and they, people didn't really realize it as much because the savings and loan industry did finance small towns. And so that was something that I felt uh, it changed the course of my life. I was never going to leave my small town. I was going to stay there. I wanted to be a small town boy, but I knew that I had to get out. And there you have the exodus of a generation that is having to reinvent themselves basically, you know, re-engineer their core belief systems in a way that was not fun. But then again, you know, I I was pretty, you know, resourceful guy. And that's whenever I told you, you know, I went to Austin, I couldn't afford college. And so, you know, I'd go in and I would uh, sit in classrooms at University of Texas for years and, you know, I wanted to learn. And so I went in and learned. I didn't have to take tests, but, you know, I got to pick and choose what I wanted to learn. So I was bringing a decentralized mindset saying, I'm going to leverage this crap and I'm going to do the best I can and of course that's when my wanderlust started and I started traveling. So, you know, as far as the savings and loan industry, it did kick off something and what I see now is that Bitcoin basically i have that reflection i can reinvent a store of value in my life and bring that decentralization of that core belief system that my grandfather taught me and that's kind of how my idea with the beef initiative has evolved into you know this vertical integration of our food and of our money
1: it's interesting how our lives intersect uh where um the uh you were talking about how the savings and loan how that related to uh, to your family. Uh, my family, in fact, my uncle was directly related uh, to the Iran-Contra bull crap and cover-up. And it's just, <laughs> just interesting yeah. to see all of these, uh, uh, my, my, uh, my uncle, um, mm-hmm. just to see how all of this is, how they all intertwines. It's really, it's, it's amazing how, uh, how I've wound up in this place talking to you right now. (laughs) Believe me, there was never a thought in my mind that I would be in Texas for any reason whatsoever. (laughs) And yet when my boots hit the ground, I'm like, "Uh Oh, this feels good. I really felt it. It's
0: funny. I was thinking that I was having breakfast with my father yesterday. And I said, you know, Adam has had a a pretty diverse life, you know, lived in a lot of places across the world and everything. And I said, it's funny because, you know, whenever we were younger, of course, you were pioneering something else, you know, MTV, VJ. And that was very pioneering at the time. But um, for us to intersect in this way, once again, it's something that the Bitcoin ethos does Mm -hmm. and you don't, you you can't make this stuff up for one. And what we can do is we can, we can seize this opportunity in time to reflect and to be able to mentor, as you said, a younger generation saying, Hey guys, the internet wasn't always here. There's some, you know, debacles that happened before, you know, uh, the housing crisis of 2008, (laughs) you know, and, and people need to understand that this is a pattern of things. This is a pattern of, of centralization that is basically a debasement of value in the big picture of things. And, you know, I, I talk about in the Bitcoin community, let's go back to food. You, know, you can't bitch and moan about a dollar being debased and not bitch and moan about your food and your nutrition being debased along with that dollar. And so anything that touches that dollar is being debased in a way that hits us, you know, the common man more than anybody else. And, you know, Bitcoin gives you basically a defense against that. It is a ledger that you can store some value on that is basically based on some truth and intentionality of, hey, I'm going to create a new store of value so I can bring back a legacy that maybe my grandparents and my ancestors try to get us to. I
1: love it. I love it. My, uh, I, all I, Look, all I am is a disc jockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been a, been a radio guy all my life, uh, but always involved in building the transmitter and using the transmitter since I was you know, really 13 is when I had built my first transmitter. And that, once I realized it, it, wasn't until I was 50 that I re- really realized I should probably focus on just doing this because I'm, I'm good at it. And, and it seems to bring the most reward to me um, as a person uh so it's exa- yeah it's what you're saying is uh podcasting started 19 years ago uh and it, and it was different then than it was uh 10 years ago and it's going through more changes and or was starting to go through changes that were uh, in that centralization pattern and Dave Jones and I and a cast of hundreds at this point of developers just said nope and we just put our foot down um, and it's worth studying these types of initiatives because, th- you know, this is um, what well, you're saying, that we have the time to reflect now, we have the time to build things, we need to look at the decentralization of almost everything we've come to rely on. And for me, that's the, the, the broadcast. And what I've done effectively is added the broadcasting of money to broadcasting of, uh, of speech and voice and ideas and thoughts. Um, but we need to do this with uh, healthcare, And there are initiatives that are happening everywhere. If you look at uh, concierge medicine, uh, doctors are checking out of the big systems and saying, you know what, I'll just have, I'll serve my local community. I can have uh, so many hundred patients. I charge you an X amount per month. You can have as many visits as you want. Uh, this is, you know, of course, as food, as we're talking about. Um, it's going to happen in so many ways. Uh, I think even the Internet itself may see more independent uh, 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 Internet service providers come online serving communities, serving them well and serving them without censorship, because that's kind of the last mile that, uh, we no longer talk about, and, you know, certainly in, in, uh, in rural America or flyover states, you really don't have even a choice between two providers of any type of broadband, if you have broadband at all. Um, and I know from your background that when it comes to telecommunications, uh, the, uh, the feds are in the wire all the way, and it's much deeper and much worse than, than we know about or there's even publicly available in protocols
0: you <laughs> Yeah, it goes, you know, as far as the telecommunications, you know, I, I always just let everybody know that there's one phone company and it's the United States government. Yeah, You know, it really is. Everything else is a marketing plan and posturing and, you know, who gets a, this real estate and who gets this real estate on on the apparatus that we, you know, speak through, you know, that we communicate through. You know, rural America does it, you know, let's go back to, you know, a two-party line system, decentralization of a small town. Okay, let's look at what that really means it means that the communications you had a two-party line system where certain people are on that party line and you were able to connect with them, you know, automatically. Everybody could join in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's bring that out and evolve it into your food. Okay, you had some land. And what you did, the first thought was I'm going to feed my family first. And then what I'm going to feed after that is I'm going to feed my community. Well, that community starts with that two-party line system. So your communications is sound communications within your community, your localization, your food supplies going to the community that you are actually having, you know, discussions with and that you're watching each other's back. With uh, moving forward with that, you, you would basically food your commu- feed your community, but you would also support your local towns. Your food did not leave your 50, 60 mile radius. Right. Everybody in that community fed each other first. And, you you know, some people ranched, some be- people did animal producing as far as hogs and fowl. So everybody knew what everybody will, was doing. And there was a form of ownership there, a responsibility and intentionality to it that everybody could agree with. in. With that, you created a certain value within that community that kept everybody healthy with, you know, you know, strong body, mind and spirit. Whenever you understand Bitcoin and the decentralization of the protocol itself, you understand how, you know, start looking at the nodes that you can create within the Lightning Network. We're doing something that has already been done. And that's where it's not complicated. If you can look back, reflect and kind of say, hey, grandma, hey, grandpa, how did y'all live or how did your parents live? Tell me some stories about, you know, some history, some traditions, some heritage. You know, it's fascinating the stories that you do here and the engineering, you know, proudness that they did to survive. You know, my grandfather was, you know, he was born in the 1890s and basically, you know, he struggled and survived his whole life. He survived, um, you know, the Spanish flu. He de- he survived gold confiscation, sixty-one, oh two. He he survived the Dust Bowl and the Texas Panhandle, two World Wars. You know, his whole life was based about based on survival, but that survival mentality basically was based on a decentralization that empowered him. And, you know, it, it's a fun lifestyle to look back on upon. And it's a fun lifestyle that, that that we're trying to innovate here in 2022. And it all starts with me, with Bitcoin and food intelligence. And now that, you know, whenever we met, I was like, okay, there's a possibility of that sound communication. And, you know, you've taught me so much in just a short period of time. I can't catch up. Right. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. I mean, it is, it's daunting for a lot of people, but what you do is you get back down to the, the fundamental base layer of the value of what you're trying to accomplish.
1: And this is, uh, so the big discovery for me about, and it kind of goes back, it goes right to that story you just told us, uh, or there was real value exchange amongst community members in, in you know, right. and it was barter or it was work labor, or it was, uh, money, which was. Uh, earned in other ways Uh, of course money is in fact a ledger you know to or a a transfer of value Um, but what I learned uh, the most important thing I learned with the no agenda show when we started what we now call the value for value model is that everything you you assume but I think everything we've been programmed this is actually something I'm just realizing now this may be programmed and we have to investigate this. So when you, uh, so so, a brief background. So No Agenda Show, John and I started it. It was just a conversation. It was like 20, 20 minutes once a week. Um, we were just talking on Skype. I was in London. He was in San Francisco at the time. Sometimes we'd get together. we talk about food, like expensive food and wine. That we'd put on the company credit card, uh, and <laughs> this kind of stuff. But also politics and looking at, the differences in how media was being reported in the UK versus the US. What was, what they put on the, in the headline here, what was in the headline there. Uh, and, and it became an interesting conversation. And we also brought in audio clips from time to time. Uh, and so it started to become work and, and, and we had, we were building up an audience and we said, you know, we, we, we got a lot of stuff we can do here, but if, so if we're going to do this, then you need to support us. And we said, why don't you, you can subscribe for $3 a month or a week or something. I can't remember what it was, but it was a fixed amount. And that was obviously disappointing. You know, so you got like a whole bunch of people sending you $3. and That doesn't really do much for, you know, for the amount of work. The value we felt we were providing did not equal that that we were receiving. And we said, you know, why don't we just make that open ended and just send us whatever you think this is worth? So at least we can gauge what you think it's worth, because most of you don't even think it's worth three bucks. And and you know, so you could. And I think our pitch was, you can send us five dollars if you think that's what it worth. What it's worth. But now, by now, we're doing an hour and a half show. And uh, I said, or you know, let's make a comparison. You go to the movies, you take a date, have some popcorn, uh, about fifty bucks maybe. Uh, was that was our hour and a half worth the same fifty bucks? So that was that was kind of the pitch. And what happened then, from one show to the next, was nothing short of a miracle. Like we got a lot of people sending us five dollars more than we're sending us three dollars. We got a lot of people sending us fifty dollars, and some people sent us five hundred dollars. So this went against everything that I. You can feel it in your core when you ask someone for money in fact you and i uh uh, talked about this when we when we first started talking about your initiative and how to fundraise and how value for value works and it's very uncomfortable because we're programmed not to beg and you know and this falls under the category of begging where it's not um is it busking is it tipping it's all these these questions that that make it very hard for someone to ask, you know, it's like, I feel helpless because I'm asking for something. But if you just reposition that in your mind and say, Hey, I'm providing something that I feel is valuable. Why don't you determine how much it's, what value it is to you. And by the way, if you're poor, a lot of money, maybe $5. So that's fine. That's full on value. Um, So we have to come to some kind of organic holistic agreement where collectively the value that people are sending to us for what we feel is the amount of work we're putting in, if those two balance out, then you go on for 15 years as we have now. Now, would I like to make 10 times as much? Yeah, of course, that'd be great. I, I, you know, There's always room for more money, but do I need it? No, because I have more than the basics covered. You know, I got a nice house. Uh, we got kids that have been through school. Two families are supported by this. Uh, I can travel, uh, you know, it's, I really, I can't afford private jet travel. Okay, so, you know, boo-hoo, I have everything else, (laughs) If, if I can live like this for the rest of my life, wow, yeah, that would work very well. So what I learned, the big lesson here, is that people actually will do this. Everyone, the first thing people, why would anyone do that? Why would anyone send money? Why would they just open-endedly send money? Why, why, why would they do that? That makes no sense. It makes no sense. But there's something about the human brain, the human spirit, the human soul that understands this uh, question. Or this, uh, people get mad at me when I say this ask because you know, it's kind of turning a, a verb into a noun. But it sure. is, is in marketing land, in nonprofit land, too. It's called The Ask. Tina, uh, uh, my wife, it's a semi-retired communications uh, uh, executive, like, you know, C, C-suite level. And uh, she's helped me a lot in understanding how, you know, how to um, perfect the value for value model, which has a lot of different aspects to it. I mean, it's not, not just monetary as well. Um, And she says the number one reason people don't give money to a nonprofit is because they weren't asked. So, you know, it's as simple as that. Uh, And it doesn't always have to, and and this is the mistake that a lot of people make or that I feel NPR even makes is there has to be some, it's like the value for value exchange is that I gave you this, you you give me whatever you think it was worth. If, if, if it, if it extends through, I did this, you give me whatever you think it's worth. And then I'll send you a tote bag you've just devalued everything. You just turned it really basically into an expensive tote bag. Get rid of that part, you know, be honest about it. And, um, we expanded that model over the years to include really the three elements, time, talent, treasure. So time could be you just helping us research something. Time could be going out and, uh, and, uh, telling people to listen to the show. Talent is artists who make artwork for us, uh, uh, uh t-shirts, um, uh, set up servers we we have never set up a server of our own it's all run by in fact we don't even call our audience listeners we call them producers you are you are producing and in fact Mm -hmm. you have an obligation to produce uh to keep this going so we also need just like hollywood we need executive producers associate executive producers who bring in the money that's why you're on the credits you're tied to the money uh in a significant way and we we give them credits so you know all all of this is a continuous exchange but you never want to to cheapen something in the loop it's always it's always incredibly important to what i say what you say back that value has to kind of even out and then it just works and that's how towns grew and that's how they prospered and you know poison was injected into the system and in my mind now that i can zoom out and look at it it's always been financial poison
0: yeah it really has and as far as you know that value for value exchange we met in uh Kerrville you know I, whenever it was the, the ice storm that hit. You when know, you gave
1: me like, COVID.
0: Yeah. That, that is when you got the vid. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I remember it's like, you got back. it's like, man, I got the vid, but you did go back to that restaurant. So. I did. I
1: did. That was a great <laughs> restaurant. the the uh, grape juice, grape juice in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in Kerrville. In
0: Kerrville. yeah that's a great rest. But yeah. you know, I had to come back, you know, I I'm still pure blood. I haven't been sick and I, I don't think I got it. There. I think it's because I eat so much beef. You know, could be, it could be, I mean, it does? wasn't,
1: it wasn't severe for either of us. And I was amazed that, uh, that I had not gotten anything. And Tina, she was working retail throughout, you know, almost uh-huh. all of the last, uh, uh, three years. Um, you know, so we were like how it's, it's amazing that we haven't gotten this. And then this Omicron, uh, Omicron didn't, did get us, um, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me because I'm always looking at. I thought, is it vaping? Is it THC? And there's all these theories right. about that. So of course, I just kept on. I mean, I haven't stopped vaping uh, any products to keep. Uh, you know, I was like, well, that seems to be working. Vitamin D. Uh, I take quercetin for mold allergies. That's another thing that seemed to be helping. So I was feeling pretty good until finally it it hit. I'm like, oh my goodness. Well, well, I'll take some antibodies then.
0: Yeah. Well, you you recovered. And, you know, I I can say that, you know, uh, I didn't get sick. So I don't know. God bless
1: you. I'm happy for you, my friend. I'm happy for you.
0: But you brought up that conversation. We had lunch. You said, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to do a barn raising.
1: Barn raising. Yes, that was. That's what
0: it was. And it it, it ties so well to this conversation and and kind of what the beef initiative is. You know, you bring up time and talent, and you bring up producers and okay, let's look at time and talent and producers.
1: Have you been have you been to a? you've done barn raisings. Yeah, we've done some barn raisings. Explain to people a barn raising because this is this is a unique, I think, a unique American uh, thing.
0: Well, back, you know, back in the day, the barn was, you know, essential to any, anybody, if you had some land, if you're a producer, if you're producing produce or, you know, animal protein, you had to have your barn, it, you know, it, it was protection, it was it was a haven, it was a center point of a lot of people's, it was leverage to be able to do what you could do for your for your family and your community. Well, most people couldn't build a barn by themselves. And so with that decentralized and hyper-localization of these communities, it, how they became powerful as strong communities, you know, let's say uh, uh, Grandpa Jones needed a barn built. Well, he would basically notify the community, hey, we're going to have a barn raising. And everybody in the community would pitch in, okay, we're going to need lumber. We're going to need certain types of uh, tool sets. We need this to be uh, able to orchestrate you know how are we going to do this barn raising and so it was impossible until the community basically banded together devised a plan and they would show up over one weekend usually and they would build a barn and it was a collective effort and you if you can do it you can go down a rabbit hole of barn raising right now and see see some of the stuff across the united states that from the very beginning from the colonial days is this is how we move forward was having these barn raisings mm-hmm. and so you know you brought that up to you know that conversation and that's what basically the beef initiative is because you know my new slogan now is you know we're grass-fed and we're grassroots and it takes a barn raising in every community to get there. And, you know, value for value is what I'm moving forward with as far as the beef initiative itself. You've taught me a lot about that. And then the value for value exchange is basically it empowers you with knowing and following through with ownership. Uh, With this conversation, you just, you just spilt out, you know, a couple minutes of dialogue. Well, I have to, I have to own that. I know I have to come back at you with something that's valuable as well. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a strong ethos to live by, and we've lost point. We've lost touch of that. I was thinking this morning, whenever I was in the telecommunications, I was doing the research and analysis. They came to me and said, "Hey, we need you to do a study and some research on uh, interpersonal communications." This is back when texting was getting big and everything. Well, I found out a couple of universities, some of these, uh, these uh, research articles they had put out and cited don't even exist anymore. You can't find them, but it was, it was Division of Interpersonal Communications and how we've lost that art of being able to learn how to communicate and with each other. And, of course, we have to use our devices and like what we're doing right now. But the form of uh, interpersonal communication has been killed in a lot of ways. And what I was able to do was write an article and kind of foresee how we're gonna move forward in the next couple of decades. Well, what was predicted was was spot on, but I think we're even more divided now. We're more connected, but more divided than ever. And the only way to get back to there is to put that focus on basically interpersonal communication and knowing how to do it. We have ch- we have guys, we have generations, we have uh, children that the first learning tool that they had was a device in their face, and so they f- they find that as a form of communication. My son's seventeen years old, and you know they'd rather text each other. In sitting in the same room, we know all this how families interact with each other. You know, that's fine and well. It's fun, it's good, and everything. But what we've got to do is we've got to have a barn raising of sound money, of sound health, sound communications for a sound future. You know, and that's why the beef initiative is going to, you know, especially in the state of Texas. Let's talk about the state of Texas. We have so many opportunities here within the food industry itself. And that's why I chose Texas, because I know farming and ranching. uh, I'm pretty good with the processing apparatuses that are actually existing in the United States. There's four major processing, global uh, processing companies in the United States that process 85% of all of our animal protein in this nation. Those four processing centers, I'm not even going to name them. We don't even need to talk about them. It's not that big of a deal. They it exist. It's true. It's factual. Throughout the last 10 years, have been fined hundreds of millions of dollars, basically on price manipulations, and it is a bottleneck of your food supply, getting able to have market access to pure animal protein and nutrition. So you look at the state of Texas. The state of Texas is a, is an is a opportune time to have a barn raising within our food industry itself working with uh, the people that are in the processing micro processing industry right now in the state of texas we have different laws what we can do is we 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 have more liberty state of texas was founded on cattle cattle and land so that means cattle and grass and you know looking back from basically the cattle industry in the state of texas started in 1878 That's whenever we had actually defeated uh, the Comanche Wars, it ended. Well, what that meant is that Texas was feeding the nation. We began to feed the nation after the Civil War.
1: You're welcome, everybody.
0: If, exactly. <laughs> it's like, if we're going to take credit for it now, and guess yeah. what, we're going to take credit for it moving forward. Yeah. And we're going to do it with pure animal protein, and that's the beef initiative. And so by saying that, we can look back on how Texas did feed a nation, and this is what we're going to about to do again. You know, the, the, the title for this podcast is Texas Howls. And so how I get a lot of the ways that I'm maneuvering forward is slogans like barn raising, Texas howls, where that comes from is a lot of people don't realize this is the texas rangers formed a form of communication back during the comanche wars from the 1840s all the way up to into the late 1870s And you know, it was a communication apparatus that is still used today by the united states military system it was decentralized and they use certain types of lamps and lanterns night times there's a it's fascinating but i'll, I'll do a podcast on that you have to time.
1: that's that i love that no one knows about that anymore, no, they they had yeah. no clue about it. So you know what
0: we're doing now, and it allowed Texas to howl. It said, "Hey, we got something here. We're going to move forward with this innovation." in this, and there was all kinds of prohibition back then. You had prohibition of uh, access to water. Access to leverage of being able to uh, round up your cattle. You had uh, you had cattle barons. You had uh, people. You know you had the you had the wars. You had the Comanche wars. You had people that were stealing cattle. There, it's all the same thing. You guys just look at a different perspective. The cattle rancher is always being attacked. And from 1878 until 2022, the cattle rancher is under attack. And who was attacking back in the 1800s? 1800s it was basically what would it was you know it was lawlessness it was the wild west so you had a lot of uh, cattle rustlers that would steal okay. your cattle okay because you, you had free range so you really had to protect those cattle you had to have your cowboys you know they they were with those cattle 24/7 as you were driving them to you know the the stockyards or wherever it was getting on the trains or going all the way up to Kansas out to New Mexico Colorado Kansas City whichever direction they are going you had to protect those cattle because people were going to come for them. But then you had the industrial age where we started getting a little bit more centralized with that. And so, you know, you had the, the railroad cane. And so that, that created a whole new environment for raising cattle. And so, you know, the value of the cow has always changed throughout time. And now the value of the cow, nobody can even understand where it is. To the beef initiative, the value of the cow is the vertical integration of what we're doing it's it's the pure animal protein of that cow and so that has been taken away whenever i say people have been attacking the cattle ranchers the war on meat is real you know we're bringing fate and meek into the you know into yeah, that that's, the that's what i've
1: been tracking that's the part that i've been tracking and it's it's amazing i actually there's a there's a magazine it's i think it's food processor equipment magazine yeah <laughs> And it's it's just all this machinery that takes uh, plant stuff and other cultures of things and make you know processes it to make it look like uh, a real animal protein, and and the, this industry is g- gigantic. And I didn't even know that DSM chemi- D- Royal DSM, which yes, used yeah, to be a chemical company in the Netherlands, growing up, I you know everyone. It was in the news. Well, DSM shares are up, or DSM did a great deal. It was like a big pride and joy of the country. I grew up in the Netherlands. Uh, you know, at the time, only seven or nine million people, uh, basically a city. Um, and now DSM, they are the number one producer of products for texture and taste of uh, plant-based, soy-based, uh, fake animal protein it's, it's amazing. And they do $8 billion a year. It's, it's unbelievable how, how big this is and how fast this is growing. And, and, and the complicit nature of our media through the dishonest uh, business model known as advertising, I'm not saying that that is that there isn't a value exchange between those two parties, but it ends up with dishonesty towards uh, the consumer, uh, particularly in, in editorial, how that's influenced. You know, we're, we're being told this is great. Uh, And this is, this is fantastic. It's phenomenal. And it's, it's pretty much, this shit is like having a Tesla, man. You know, you want to aspire to having this fake meat.
0: Yeah. And you, you actually turned me on to Royal DSM. You, know, you you brought it up to me one day and I was like, holy crap, you know, the, the billions of revenue that they do every year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did some research into them and I was looking at them and I came up with the, the, the kind of painting a picture to people, especially to the parents out there. The, the, uh, how far we've been detached of knowing what food is, 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 come a long ways. Unfortunately, we can see it in a lot of things, but one thing that we have to really acknowledge now and in, in people need to take ownership is, is basically the first introduction of food that your children are receiving is through a chemical company that is making billions of dollars over manipulating how your taste buds react to their chemicals. And it does not yeah. get more honest and plain as that.
1: And, and what's crazy is for, you know, for whatever reason, the path that I've been on for the past 15 years, at, at, at least, um, John C. Dvorak and I have been talking jokingly about mac and cheese, macaroni and cheese. And I, this probably goes back to 2008, 2009, when everything was collapsing, the housing crisis. And there we were saying like, well, don't worry, because you slaves can eat mac and cheese. And there's been a joke throughout the history of our podcast. And here we are where mac and cheese is truly the food, big air quotes, the food that people are turning to. It is also a leading indicator of where we're headed as if you um, get a pack of craft mac and cheese, again, this is not food, this is plasticizers and God know you know whatever stuff that has been made to make it taste like cheddar cheese, um, one packet for one mac and cheese uh, dosage from a year ago and you compare it to the dosage this year, cause you get two things in this box. You get your, your cheap macaroni and you, this, this powder and you, and you combine those two a year ago. The powder packet was 1.3 ounces. Today's powder packet is 0. 0.8 ounces. They are literally, this is how they will keep you barely alive. This is just the old school analog way of doing it. You know, what I've, what you've turned me on to is how all of this will be tracked all the way through the entire chain, right down to the temperatures of the, of the, of the cows, uh, ear, you know, whatever, whatever we need all the way through to your consumption with your smartwatch and how you respond. And they're basically just going to keep you alive at, at minimum, um, health level and maximum profit. Um, and it's, uh, it's starting, you know, this, 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 this is exactly what it is, is now they're just taking down a little bit of the, of the actual ingredients just, just to keep you alive. It's so sad that, that people are, are eating this and giving it to their kids. I mean, look at the marketing, you know, the kids are happy. Oh, yay. Finally, Mac and cheese night. Yeah. Poison night.
0: And Yeah. You know, we were talking about, you know, last October, November, and we were already kind of projecting, you know, a little bit. I think you were you identified the fertilizer shortage first, I think, in our conversations Mm -hmm. in that prior conversation. It's how it kind of started matching together. What, you know, our prior conversations were, you know, I was saying, you know, this year coming up in 2022, what's going to happen is there it'll probably be a fabricated food supply shortage in certain way because of the supply chain lines and everything. They'll, well, the, they'll mess the, it the, this,
1: the bird flu is now, uh, mm-hmm. is, is being hyped and we're culling uh, chickens and, uh, and turkeys uh, nationally. And, and people are, and the authorities just, I, I know because I have contact with a lot of, uh, a lot of different uh, producers of uh, of food. And so the the turkey killers are just coming into the farm and saying, oh, yeah, bird flu, got to get rid of them. Don't test them or anything. Not It's not like that. Ha- it's just... Preventive culling. Yeah. Uh, This is... uh, is, I I lived through one of these when I lived in Belgium. It's sad. It's really horrible. It's just the whole population just wiped out.
0: And they... they One thing that's scary about that, or that's it, it it, it is alarming, is this has been planned. This is not. I mean, they've been working on this because of the food consolidate, industrial food consolidation that's been happening since the mid 1990s. We'll just go back that far. There's been four major consolidation points in which big global food corporations are going for one world food group. That cannot be denied anymore. This is where we are, and how they do that is they basically going back to mac and cheese. You know, we said that there will be a short term food supply shortage in at least the United States. Let's just focus on the United States right now. We'll talk about globally here in a little bit. But what that means is once they create that uh, fabricated food supply shortage, they'll insert a new fake commodity as much as they can on top of the fake commodities that has gotten here that has basically led to a, you know, a metabolical bankrupt, a bankruptcy of this nation. And so by doing that in fabricating that food supply, stacking some more fake value, uh, fake commodity value on top of our food supply within the ingredients, what they're really doing is they're creating that nutritional starvation. We're already there. Uh, 46% of our kids uh, now in the United States are uh, either obese or overweight. Uh, They're going towards diabetes. Um, I had a podcast that I did with Dr. Mary Kerr. She's going to be speaking at the conference. She's out of Texas. Maybe she gave me COVID. <laughs> maybe so <laughs> but uh what we're going to uh what we're going to discuss and what we discussed on that podcast is she's saying that she's letting me know that there's there's young kids uh let's say 17 and under that are coming into her uh, office and they have fatty liver disease these are kids you know and the, these these young boys are coming in with uh, testosterone counts of 200. This is the next
1: issue. Yeah,
0: this is a big issue here. It's happening to our children. If it's happening to our children, just think how bad the adults already are. You know, that food ditch that they've created. And a lot of people don't have a clue about how to get out of that. And they don't understand that because it tastes good is the reason we're in this debacle. Because we are detached from our food. We're detached from our taste buds as well and so that is being controlled and the whole apparatus of our food industry itself your consumption is not allowed is allowed and not allowed by a chemical company and people you know it's hard for people to really wrap their minds around that because it is very vast and it is very daunting so how do we get around that well you get back to the source the seed of what food is and you know talking with ranchers one thing that i'd like to segue here doing a vertical integration into our food supply system the the industrial food complex to my grandfather what they did is they did a vertical integration into the decentralized food apparatus that built our communities well we're coming back at them now we're counter and we're going to vertically integrate into that industrial centralized food system with a new form of uh food intelligence it starts with the soil then it goes to the grass it goes to the cow it goes to the producer then it goes to the processor. The processor, then the supplier, then we create the new market access that basically lands in your home on top of your kitchen table. What that, into, that integration creates is a new health initiative across the United States. And the American Rancher is actually gonna be leading the health initiative of the United States. And with the beef initiative, it's taken us about six months. We have proof of work. We are doing it today. Right now, you can basically be a part of that vertical integration with pure animal protein within the beef initiative. And it's starting in Central Texas, just right down the road from where you are right now.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and it really is working. I mean, I was talking to, uh, to Mo, uh, who's mm-hmm. in Northern Virginia uh, yesterday. Uh, and, uh, and his wife is putting together, you know, figuring out which package she wants to get from K&C Cattle in Austin. Okay. You know, and, and they're actually looking and saying, wow, these prices actually aren't too bad. And of course, right now, you know, you still get uh, semi-crushed on, uh, on the shipping, but that's just, uh, you know, that's just because logistics aren't, aren't there yet. But I can easily see that, that growing out even to, to service, you know, that far away from Texas. It makes total sense. Um, where we're going to need a lot of help uh, moving forward, and I think we have several years before it gets to this and this could all of this happening could be you know ten years it could be ten months or ten days away it's, it's hard to say um, but meanwhile all uh, all of the earth's resources are being commoditized by uh, the banking system into this something called the new asset class right and and i and I do not have a full grasp of it yet, um, but it's being talked about, and the idea is that everything in fact, every, every inch of the earth, every blade of grass will be commoditized and will have a number and will be able to be uh, may, uh, used in financial transactions. Um, and so we need uh, smart people who understand that. And I think once we have built our parallel systems, uh, as, as the current ones start to flounder, and we're already seeing um, a, a very vibrant homeschooling, um, homeschooling has always been big in the United States, but of course now it's much, much bigger than it ever was. So these are parallel systems while the, while the existing system melts down and pe- and the people you want will start to come over and join you. We will eventually figure out <clears throat> how to um, elect politicians uh, and representatives that actually represent us. And we'll, we'll have learned how to hold their feet to the fire. I think the mistake we, we typically make is... You know, we've got to get out and vote. We've got to change this. Now, now that's not really change. That's just picking another person that, who is against whatever you don't like. We need to understand what it is we really want to be represented for. And that will be uh, the schools we want, the, uh, the, the, the health we want, uh, the food we want, the, the money we want, all these different things. And then you then you can go and uh, and get your political house in order and hold people accountable, um, uh, as well as remove a lot of the truly unconstitutional uh, things that have that have grown in in our government and just bring that to something that is closer to the original document and and perhaps even the intent. So uh, we've been doing things backwards. And I think this is what makes this so compelling. And. Uh, and, and I love the barn raising I remember. I remember that, that lightning bolt hitting you. I saw it. It was beautiful um, from, from a technology, because uh, this often sounds like, well, you know, these are just some, uh, some, some old guys and they want to go back to the way it was. And, you know, there's so much uh, forward movement and nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, this is a great moment in time because if you look at the internet and and all the things that are possible on it and that's not just your, your social media sites but technically really possible including uh, the, the transport of Bitcoin uh, uh, messaging uh, we have this huge huge operating system that we can now pick and choose technologies from that we want to put together in a new way in a decentralized way um, and or but even decentralized does not in my mind does not necessarily have to be each individual yes you need individual decentralization of id etc but i would i like the idea of joining a group uh, a community such as NoAgendaSocial.com, which is a a mastodon instance it runs on the fediverse uh, and that group has a, a set of agreements or rules as to how the conduct is there and you control it yourself as a community of course there's always one or multiple admins but there's nothing wrong with joining a group where there's rules and you can get kicked out of it. What's beautiful about the the fediverse and the decentralization in social media that we've just, you know, we've grown and we've plucked bits and pieces. Uh, Well, actually this, this is all open source and has grown over decades time. And now it's just there for the, for the plucking and it's been done. It's been plucked. It's being planted elsewhere is you can have, you can have all these different communities and they can intersect with rules on how that works. So, that's a very valid form of decentralization. You can also set up your own server and just be one guy and have rules for yourself. Um, the same goes for uh, the reliance we have on Google Docs and Slack and all these things that, I mean, if Slack truly blows up, productivity in the United States stops overnight. Companies do not know how to operate without Slack. This is, this is I mean, that, if I were a ransomware guy who really wanted to do something, I'd go after Slack everywhere. I and mean, yeah, th- yeah. it's very, very dangerous. Slack is, a, is a, just a, uh, yeah, it's a ticking time bomb in my mind and stuff like that. So um, right now you have uh, people decentralizing healthcare. They're using off-the-shelf uh, a telemedicine solutions, building them themselves. The barn raising there is someone has to build an app. You know, someone has to uh, be a doctor. Or someone has to understand the, the financial part, the billing Uh, And all of this can be done remotely through the Internet, but it doesn't have to be come to you, brought to you by Google or anything like that. And the missing piece, the missing piece was the money because you just couldn't integrate. You know, you had to always go to Stripe or to um, uh, uh, Shopify or uh, Square or, you know, all these different or PayPal, all these different centralized uh, solutions for your money value transfer. And, and not only is it very, uh, very limited in scope, it's not really programmable. You have to live by someone else's rules. There's fees that get taken. And then ultimately, they have control. You know, we're going to, what, you, you can't donate to some truckers in Canada. Screw you. Boom, your money's gone. And we're going to investigate you. Um, you know, it, it's uh, what, you, you're Russian? Boom, no credit card for you. Just because of your affiliation with, just because you live in the same country that Putin rules over. These are these this is insane. So Bitcoin and now Lightning Network which enables that programmable you know, look even Adam Curry could figure out how to use the Lightning Network in a different you know to to make value for value transfers possible in podcasting this is that's really training wheels time and you know what I did so there's so much more to come and it's all available to us. We do not need to use the big tech. With this comes a change in Again, Bitcoin helps with this. doesn't? I don't think it takes people all the way there. But the days of the biggest, the, the, the most listeners, the most viewers, uh, really the, what I think is the flaw of President Trump, he always had to be number one, the biggest, the best. That's not really important anymore. Um, people are realizing that the 15 minutes of fame is easy to get now and there's probably more downside than upside to it. Um, and what I realized 15 years ago is it's much more important to be speaking to a group of people, interacting with them and them supporting me so that I can pay my rent and continue the continue with, you know, this is just in, in my world, but I think this goes for, um, for every industry and everything we're talking about, it was much more important than being. The number one, the top guy having meetings with advertisers, you know, uh, having bad meetings with advertisers because I cussed too much or I made a joke about them. They didn't like um, having people, you know, to manage that, um, you know, just just l- loss of creative control. Someone else managing my schedule, telling me that I have to do this right now. Um, it's not worth it. It's not worth the, t- the, the 10x. It's just not worth it because uh, I've been there, I can tell you it's just not worth it. Uh, by the way, if you're worth the ten x, you'll get the ten x as long as you make an outstanding product or have outstanding value that people want to give in return. but it is not how many people it is the it is the people of quality who understand what you're doing and and feel that they need to return the value. It's not everybody, but everybody does have does have that that brain wiring and when you bring the decision to support something so close that it's literally a tap on the app that you're, you're listening to a podcast in, it really shows you that people do want to do this. Sometimes it's just, oh, I got to go to PayPal. I got to go to Patreon. I got to do this. I got to do that. Or, shoot, I have to listen to these ads because I can't fast forward. That's all negative. It's all negative. The value transfer is all positive. And I'll just give one example because I'm witnessing it right now. A barn raising is podcasting 2.0. Dave Jones and I started it. We made it completely open. We said, there's no creepy money. We put our, our own money in first just to get things running. Um, We need you to support the project. And that took off. You know, we we're not taking any money out, but you know, the servers are running. There's a lot of infrastructure costs to this. Um, And we just saw people from all walks of life come in. um, And, uh, and contributing, and, it, and it's the, kind of the same age group that we're talking about here. And under, and we just had a, 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 a Mastodon, a podcastindex.social, anybody can join, and they, and they all brought their individual talents. They all wanted to do something for themselves. They had their own project, but if they contribute to building this barn, which is the podcastindex.org, then we, it would be a barn for this whole community. And one and almost from the get go, we tied in the 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 money flow because this is purely about uh, podcasting for now. Um, that everybody could benefit by getting a piece of each transaction if they added value to the entire chain. So app developers, who are really barn builders, had never been given a real opportunity to participate in the money that flows from the audience to the podcaster. You know, so and when Joe Rogan was still free to air the thirty million dollars a year he might have been making then, um, uh, the podcast apps would never would never see that. They had there was no way for them to participate in the value flow. Now even the people who help me out, who do, for instance, chapters or images, et cetera, or transcripts, I can give them a piece of uh, uh, of each transaction moving forward in perpetuity. Now you're talking. I mean, I have. Two guys, Dreb Scott does uh, does chapter work for all of my podcasts, uh, and and I have um, the Neil, the clip custodian, who just showed up one day and started making clips for No Agenda. One of the best best clip producers I've ever seen, better than I am, knows how to pick them, the length of the whole thing, right down to labeling, and so I give him ten percent of anything I get coming in in perpetuity, and. Um, we even kind of burned out at the same time. Like I got to go on vacation, man. I said, "Wow, I was just going to tell you I got to stop for a bit because I'm burned out." And then, so after two shows, I come back and there's the clip custodian. He's back. It's like I'm invigorated now. It's it's not like he's making money, you know, to go buy a car off of off of these boostergrams yet. This is you know this is small potatoes. We're we're still in in its infancy. But it's the motive. He says it's, it wouldn't matter if it was 10 Satoshis or $10 million. He says, when I see that dripping into my wallet, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like people value what I did. And that's it. And that's in your core. So the gone are those days of I have to be number one. Now it's about how do you participate in this in these value communities? And Bitcoin is what binds us all to even the people who... Who are bitching about it? Call it crypto. Within our little group, they still—they can't help themselves because they—they see the satoshis coming in. Like, send me a boostergram. You know, they can't help themselves. They're still all in on advertising. All the and and by the way, most of us pump it right back into someone else's podcast. You know, like we're we're not stacking it for uh, for ourselves for a rainy day. We're, it's really circular at this point, point. and um, that's that's I think a core part of this big operating system that has been built by uh big tech which really has been built on open source because most big tech is running an open source uh, on the base layer mm-hmm. uh, that is thousands and millions of people have have built these protocols you're not being taught this in school for a reason because nobody wants smart kids to come out and start building things for themselves Um, You don't have to be a computer wizard to participate in these groups. You can just be a user of the product who just wants to give feedback. Uh, It's again, time, talent, treasure It's all three things. And it works for technology projects. It works for the beef initiative. It works for everything. But barn raising is. That's the one that is it. That is the best uh, comparison.
0: I love it. I mean, that was very eloquently done. Thank you. I just learned a lot even more than I've already learned from you. Um, Let's do a, let's do an impromptu uh, case study. Okay. We're going to do an outline here as far as, you know, podcasting 2.0 and everything that you're doing and what you just explained, how can we do a case study to where what we're doing as far as how can we let the, the American rancher share in that same type of barn raising value for value. So you know what you do is you bring them in to where there. It's not like that. Nobody's going to be making a bunch of money off of this. What it is, it's going to be empowerment, and that rancher is going to feel valued again as far as being able to do that vertical integration because you know they're going to value the, the grass. They're going to value the soil. you know and then of course that grass and that soil is going to value that cow. That cow is ba- basically, you know that cow's going to value that producer because you know he, he's the steward. Well, once we have now in the state of Texas, whenever where that producer has free, access to that processing center there's some more value thrown in there and you know what you just outlined it matches that is the barn raising that we're performing for the american rancher right now and we're starting in the state of texas
1: and so, and the case study for me is knc cattle yes. in austin because i mean and and that's why had, when you said barn raising at that lunch i'm like oh boom that's it um that has been a true barn raising right down And, you know, you give me a lot of credit. I don't deserve it. I'm just doing my part of the job. And what I love about a barn raising is if you're a carpenter and you're supposed to hammer some two by fours, you don't have to worry about all the other shit. You just have to do that. And you don't have to feel obligated to do anything else. You know, you just do your part. If you're making sandwiches for everybody who's working on the barn, you don't have to think you got to go pick up a saw. I mean, that's just kind of how a good, well-organized barn raising operates the way I see it. So this barn raising included me. Driving to to the ranch, yeah. you know, and then um, and then being given a, a tour and meeting the cattle and you know speaking for just for two hours, just understanding everything, uh, learning uh, a lot about the operation, about their dreams, their hopes, and um, and taking that in and then propagating that out to to the to the point where you know, I was at the Bitcoin conference and I mentioned you and the Beef Initiative. And there was a lot of people clapping and hooting and hollering in the I audience. I don't know if you it, could I, hear it.
0: Here we go. Uh, let's see what our producer has here. There you are talking to Max Kaiser. Yeah. And uh, we were able Thanks. to uh, I listened to that clip a couple of times and I did notice. I was like, wow, there's people actually that know what the beef initiative is.
1: More, more about. than, than you heard on the video. More there, there was, it was, I was very, very delighted. So that's my part of the barn raising. That's what is so. and by the way, I, I'm so happy we're doing this. I, I I presume it's entertaining for people to watch, but I'm happy because I've started writing the value for value document. It, it's you know it's I'm not maybe I'll call it a manifesto just to fuck with everybody, but i I'm not sure what I want to call it yet, but, it's, it, but it's value for value. and eventually this would this would turn into a book that I want to write with uh, with Dvorak, which would also, put in the market value for value. Um, and you've given me, and I'm actually, I can't wait to watch rewatch what we've just done here, uh, to pick up some of those, these, these concepts, how we've discussed them, because this is exactly, you know, I'm only missing a psychologist or like a, not a psychologist, uh, a neurosurgeon who can tell me, you know, what these pathways are, or has done some research into sharing and, you know, value exchange. I don't think I'm missing much else. You know, the, um, I don't need, this manifesto doesn't need to go too far back into, uh, into great pieces of work that have been done, like the history of money, but for, uh, I want it to be a, um, uh, a modern operational, a modern user guide, you know, like, a, almost like a quick start guide. And then here's the manual. And, and here's what is right down to maybe even a, an example of a script of an ask, Uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is, because this can be applied to so many things. And I'm really appreciative because you gave me, I've been writing stuff down. You've been giving me a lot of good ideas for, uh, for this uh, manifesto that I'm going to do.
0: I love that because I think, um, being able to explain it, you know, in that manifesto, I think with this conversation, you've made me realize Uh that it's basically transferable over into anything that you do each and every day.
1: Yep. You know, even into your relationship, your family.
0: there you have it. It's like, mm-hmm. Hey, I have to, I have to really own this value for value today. I and mean, you want to talk about saving some relationships with a man and wife. And what about, you know, parents and children, you know, you look at food and say, I'm going to value for value with my, my child's nutrition. What ownership do I have to take now? You know, ownership, I have to, I have to basically have that accountability mirror and I have to say, okay, man, my, my worldview is going to have to change a little bit and I'm yeah. going to have to be okay with that. You know, it's a form of denial that I know is going on. So I love that idea. That's, that's going to be, i want to, I want to be part of that a little bit. So um, yes. let's, <laughs> let's go back to uh and C cattle, uh, Cole Bolton, right? And, mm-hmm. yep. you know, he, he's a Texas boy, you know, he's, he's generational like me in the
1: state of the Texas. Also a rodeo guy, right?
0: He's a professional team roper and he's a VP for a bank too. So, I mean, this guy hits on all fronts,
1: <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's the craziest part. <laughs> It really is. It's like do you want you want to register as a bank. OK, I can do that, too. Would you like some beef with that?
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's covered his bases. I mean, you know, us us cowboys and stuff or want to be cowboys, whatever you want to call us, uh, Texas boys, you know, we come with a lot of humility. We try to. That's kind of how we're raised. And, and Cole Bolton is one of the most humble guys I've ever met and the proof of work that he's put into everything that he's doing right now is is about as solid as it gets i mean you met him in person you saw his mm-hmm. ranch you mm-hmm. know people look at you know ranches they think a big old widespread ranch well his ranch is right in the middle of austin city limits people right next to the tesla
1: it. plant it's unbelievable there you go. yeah
0: in uh, the regrowing soil there you know mm-hmm. They work dirt and then they regrow soil with cattle, with the land tools. And so, the you know, that vertical integration that I keep on bringing up because I'm going to it's going to live rent free in everybody's head moving forward is the vertical integration of our, our of our health initiative across the United States. Cole Bolton is leaving is leading that. Yep. And, you know, and I started talking to him probably about the same weekend that you and I met. Uh, through, uh, you know, Marty hooking us up and the relationship that we've built is, has become very powerful. And, you know, him and I discussed I said we have to have a conference to discuss our roadmap, you know, and here we are, we're going to give people a roadmap, you brought up value for value, roadmap for barn raising a roadmap into the vertical integration of your food, a roadmap into a new lifestyle that's always been there. And we're going to really kind of get, you know, you've been part of pop culture your whole life. I mean, that's something that you were very good at.
1: I know. Um, I feel like I'm like, I'm uh, one of the, one of the rolling stones. I still get to hang out with the cool new, the cool new bands. Exactly.
0: (laughs) And that's what we're going to do. We're going to leverage that, you know, we're going to make this a lifestyle. I mean, people are going to start, you know, always, you know, you're all right being in texas in the 1970s okay we're gonna get kind of funny here you know there was a movie that came out and it you know it was urban cowboy okay oh, yeah. <laughs> so urban cowboy came out i was a young kid you know disco was king and everything but all of a sudden overnight urban cowboy came out everybody across the nation was buying cowboy hats and cowboy
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: That, that meant and two-stepping something. And two-step and Mm -hmm. uh, Gillies, Gillies, you know, down there, you know, Houston area and everything. So what that meant is that people were involved in the lifestyle change that was pop culture. You know, pop culture can be very damaging. We know that, but it can also can have a very positive influence. And so, you know, the number one TV show right now in the United States is Yellowstone. And so, you know, that's about ranching. They don't do it justice, but they do a pretty good job of it and everything. It's dramatic series. Well, Cole and I were talking about, and we start talking about rodeos, team roping, the community-based rodeo circuit across the United States and how valuable that is because it's based on community. So looking at the Beef Initiative, it's it's about the vertical integration of food and health, but it's also going to be the vertical integration of our lifestyles. And everybody's going to come along for a ride because it's something that is needed right now in this country because of the prohibition of communications, the prohibition of freedom, personal space and everything. Well, we're going to do some mass innovation into a new lifestyle that people can have and then they can be, feel empowered and, you know, have that value for value exchange and you know that's what's going to be the fun part of these conferences that we're going to get to meet people we're going to get to see the real life people that are innovating through these times and going towards that decentralized model that's going to give us that sound future and so it's all coming together these conversations are value for value they're valuable for me and you but what they're going to do is they're going to test uh have a uh, test of time that basically we can reflect on and look back and saying, we're doing something right. We're, we're actually mentoring. We're bringing you know, people together.
1: I, something just hit me. Um, I see this more as a strategy session than a podcast, quite honestly. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, into it, hasn't it? <laughs> so, so April 23rd, as you know, unfortunately we have finally able to have uh, the internment service for my dad who passed away in 2019 has been living in my sister's uh, closet on a shelf for three years. Uh, but this comes with uh, the passing of his sister, uh, my aunt, who I was very fond of. And that, of course, takes place on the 23rd. And I kind of out of my hands to be able to change uh, travel plans for about 100 people. Um, so sadly, I cannot attend. But um, one of my good friends here in, uh, in Texas is Mark Hall. Uh, he is a documentarian. He's done. He did a fantastic documentary called "Killing Ed," uh, which is about the charter school system, mm-hmm. uh, particularly yeah. the one one charter school network uh, which was run uh, and owned by the Gulen network from Turkey, and you know how it's really a huge scam. Not all not all charter schools, but this one in particular. He also did one on the um, on sushi. Uh, about uh, you know, literally following the fish all the way through, and uh, and I know he's going to be at the conference. Uh, he's also a lawyer and a very well connected lawyer, so he he knows uh, uh, legal great legal minds in the state of Texas. I'm going to pitch to him that this beef initiative. He needs to be the documentarian for this, and 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 I would even help him raise some funds. To get it going. Uh, it should be value for value ultimately in consumption, but it's always expensive to, to set yeah. up stuff yeah. like this. Um, I think that's worth exploring because it just hit me like, holy crap, we're not documenting what's happening here properly. We have all the elements, but it needs to be documented because uh, that's just how it works these days. You know, you, you want to get people to believe that the snake venom is in the, in the, in the, the COVID vaccines or in remdesivir, make a documentary and it's being distributed in the water, call it in the water. You know, it's like it, it, people will watch it. So mm-hmm. um, that's just a bookmark for myself. I, I got to get Mark involved in this. I, I'll see if I can, if I can pitch it to him. He's look. he's always looking for ideas. Um, but ultimately it's, it's, you know, we got to have some funds. It would be possible. Yeah, yeah. Think about it.
0: Yeah, I think I've been thinking about it ever since I wrote that first article. You know, in the beginning, I was going to call it The Harvest of Deception. Um, that's still something that would, you know, I'd love that.
1: I'd love that as a title.
0: Yeah, I think that could carry a lot of weight for a very long period of time. It would re- uh, basically people could relate to it in any form or fashion of their past and then the future and their present times. So um, I've been wanting to put together that. I do have some close relationships with a local uh, production company. They have a sound studio. There's, there's, we've got some nodes that I've already built out. So there's resources. Yeah, we have the resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. I I think we should, because, you know, after, because you've agreed you're, you're, you're okay with coming to uh, Georgia. We're going to have the conference out there in Georgia in September. So this is, you know, I I keep on telling people, what is the beef in this? they keep on asking? me? What is the beef initiative? Well, I guarantee you this year, it's going to be a pretty damn big production of awareness and education and a roadmap. So, and you're so right, we have to document this. We have to create that content library that can become historical that people can be involved with and that we can leverage basically to start saving, you know, children's lives, start saving families, some communities. And, you know, it starts with basically being able to catch that those moments in time
1: and by the way i want i want to compliment uh, one of our fellow barn raisers producer rob who was i'm I'm looking i look at the video which is basically the the what what everyone is seeing uh, when they're watching this and i just love how the cameras are switching we've got the lower the lower third scroll now tickets on sale for beef and go to befinitiative.com. that's great man I'm, i'm i'm impressed i love it
0: man you and i'm i'm going to give credit to Rob big time because this is value for value here we go Rob heard me i believe uh the joe rogan possibly no mm-hmm. agenda, i can't remember podcasts that you brought you know texas slim and uh, beef initiative up and we just we just started talking and you know we we, we just kind of discovered each other and what you know what we were trying to accomplish what we'd had accomplished in the past and everything that you just mentioned has happened holistically there's not a there's not a big you know negotiation there's not a big contract this is valuable for value exchange, man, this is this is living. This is livin' right now. Just two guys saying, "Hey, let's do something with this." I got this skill set over here. You know, I, I I can't run a hammer, but I can run a, a damn saw. And so, you know, it is. It's all just happening. So organically, I'll, I'm going to steal that word back organically. It's pure, <laughs> you know, it, it's pure. And, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is uh, thanks for the props on that, because it is I I, I wasn't ready to be able to, to do this. I'm not a professional podcaster, but I'm about to become one, I think. So if, you know, if everything works out, we have a great producer
1: like Rob. you are. You're you two are a great combination. You're a fantastic conversationalist, which is all that it takes to do this. And you're very, very good at it.
0: Well, it's enjoyable
1: to do. It's enjoyable to speak with you.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny because I always had stage fright, Adam. Uh, I didn't talk till I was five years old, so I was just downloading content, I guess. But yeah, you know, you know, right now is a, is it's a fun time because I believe in everything we're doing, and I've got tons of people that are that are backing us up, and I love that on the stage in Miami. You said we have the tech, we had the beef initiative in the state of Texas. We yeah. are doing this, and yeah. When, Because it is, it's, it's collective, man. This is crowdsourcing 101. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've been going on for a while here, but can we talk about basically the conference? Uh, Let's talk about basically how people can get tuned into you more. A lot of people don't know how to do that. Some people are just seeing you for the first time in maybe many years. So let's talk about what you would like people to know as far as being able to get tuned into your value for value, the podcasting 2.0. And then I'm going to go into the beef initiative and paint a roadmap and how we're going to kind of tie those together.
1: So there's four things four podcasts. I do that, um, that all represent a different interest and side and passion. Uh, and I think all, every single one of them is relatable to to what we're talking about. One is the No Agenda Show, which I've been doing, the one we've referenced with John C. Dvorak for 15 years. Um, that is where I uh, am extremely happy at deconstructing the messaging that is thrown at us uh, so people can understand. It's really exposing, but it's deconstructing. Um, pulling it apart. Okay. Here's what this is for. Here's the agenda behind this um, making some assumptions to a lot of laughs for sure. And, uh, and a, and a very mature value for value community that once you listen to it, you'll, you'll understand uh, how it all kind of fits together. It's not just two guys reading headlines, but we really have, uh, we have more producers than NBC news. I mean, for sure. Um. The second one is Mo Facts with Adam Curry and Mo Facts. I met in a similar fashion to you, just connected online. Um, He lives in Northern Virginia. He's got, he's a little bit younger than us. He's just turned 40. Uh, He's got four kids. um, And he's living a unique experience in America because he is African-American or as we like to say, ADOS, American descendant of slavery. And there's, uh, and whereas I've, do not consider myself bigoted or racist at all, ignorant. I think everyone is. Um, and he and I were talking for several months uh, based around a lot of uh, uh, common interests, um, particularly as it pertains to how race is used in the media. And, w- and we decided to do this show, and we're now we've done 79 episodes, varying uh, in length. And it's really two American men sitting down who, yeah, I've never even met him. I don't even know how he might even, he might even be black for all I know, although I suppose he is, um, who just have a different cultural experience. And when you talk together about some of the issues that are, you know, supposedly dividing the nation, it turns out that we agree on so much more than we're divided on. And in fact, it has been the messaging and the programming from the media that has triggered us in ways that are not productive towards living together in love and harmony and awe of each other's different cultural backgrounds, which is kind of what America is about. Uh, that is a master class schooling for me uh, in just under, just things I didn't think about. And it's not it's not all racism it's or you know you're racist or not that has nothing to do with it. it's just culturally not understanding each other because you've you've grown up in different environment uh, and that has nothing to do with rich or poor or uh uh or geographic location It's just literally cultural roots where mine are from you know ireland scotland uh and his are from uh from africa um Podcasting 2.0 is also a podcast, which we do almost every Friday. And that is, uh, we call it the board meeting. Um, that, this is one of the most enjoyable projects I've ever worked on in my life. There's no way you could hire, even if you had a company, you wanted to hire all the, all the talent that works on that project, it would be a $100 million a year payroll. It's, it's unbelievable, uh, the, the talent that, that, that comes to this game and this barn raising uh, of ours including like, you know, perfect uh, technical documentation. And it started exactly the same way. And Dave Jones and I, although we've known each other for over a decade, we've never really worked together. And I just said, Hey, we got to take back podcasting. Here's the idea. Um, here's, here's the reasons why we can add you know, money to it. And in typical Adam and Dave fashion, you know, Dave went, okay, cool. Let's do it. And the barn raising started. Um, the fourth one is uh, Curry and the Keeper, and I do this with my wife. And this is, you know, every, every fortnight, every 14 days. Um, I knew that, and it's turning, we just have our, just did our 10th episode, and it's all podcasting 2.0 from beginning to end. It's not on the Apple index. You can only get it with a modern podcast app from newpodcastapps.com, uh, which includes some of the bigger ones you may have heard of, like Overcast or Podcast Addict. So it's not all just new stuff a lot of quick growers. Um, uh, also, the only way we monetize is through uh, donations, so value for value, and we try to keep that strictly through, uh, through the, the podcasting 2.0 streaming value for value. But I knew that if we speak just as honestly as we do to each other all the time, that it would be very compelling for people um, in relationships but also, I thought it would be great for us because um, to learn. Well, for us, really, it's it's interesting, and the whole idea is we drink a bottle of wine and we and we laugh a lot, but we're also through the feedback loop of this still small community that we have. Uh, Tina and I have started becoming uh, or have been reinterested in faith and um, and what is uh, you know thinking about God and Jesus Christ and. Uh, we even went to a church recently, and so this is part of that conversation, uh, and it all stems from the same place. It's all barn raising. I think the, lot, the 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 Korean, the keeper, maybe we're we're also we're also in that barn. It's part of barn raising for us too. You know, we're, it's it kind of goes both ways. It's it, I can't quite put it all into words, but it's been a really really fantastic experience. All the all the great um, people we're meeting and uh, the struggles they're going through uh, the questions they have. uh, It's kind of, it's part of the balance of here's the food parents still have to feed their kids, the food, you know? So, so we're, we're bringing all of this together. Again, not, not on purpose that, but I, it's, it's, it for me, it rounds out all the work that I need to do uh, to participate in moving where we're going. Um, So, you can find all of those in a podcast app, <laughs> but you can uh, you can always find me on Twitter. You know uh, at Adam Curry. Um, uh, that that's the best way I, I would say to to understand what I'm doing and uh, and and yeah, where I'm yeah where I'm trying to contribute.
0: I love that. I mean, everything that you just said is, is such a cool balance, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but it happened with a collective, you know, a collection of years of experience of basically intentional now you know, moving forward, you know, us in our 50s, you you do have that type of uh, awareness and clarity to where you want that balance in your life. And when -hmm. it it does start coming together, it really does kind of orchestrate into something that's beautiful. You know, it orchestrates into something that you you feel like, um, you know, this is living. And I want a lot of people to understand that is that, you you know, I, I bring up, you know, the mass prohibition. Of things that have, are trying to be attempted at this time you, the type of innovation that you can actually allow yourself opportunity to be happy and in love to find some new faith you know to find some new strengths it's all there and we're doing it here we're doing it right now in the last two hours and people need to always tell people turn off your damn TV turn off the damn noise and point your compass in a different direction and mm-hmm. you know and if you do that it's, it's so simple to really you know just take that small step to the left to the right and get toe-to-toe with uh whatever you want to get toe-to-toe with and um you know these forms of communications that we're establishing these ideas these strategy sessions this is you know it happened with one in three o'clock in the morning you know back in last year in 2021 all this kind of that was the source of the seed of where we are right now with the beef initiative you know i i have been asked so many times you know what is it well we're going to start defining it at the beef initiative conference in Kerrville you know April 23rd beefinitiative.com is where you can go get your tickets and you can get you know a lot more information about the beef initiative and you know the conference itself we have a, a a unlimited amount of great speakers unfortunately you won't be there at this one uh we've already discussed that but you're going to be you know at all the other ones i hope that we have across this nation well we need to understand is the beef initiative is about to to launch some you know some good announcements that's going to allow people to let's get back to our roots Because we're going to get back to, you know, starting with the grass, we're going to be grass fed, grass grass roots, and we're going to do a barn raising this year in in the United States and we're going to start in Central Texas. And this is a very exciting time. Um, I believe that these strategy sessions are going to grow now. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, call to action coming in both of our lives. And if you come to that conference, you're going to have a call to action as well. And it's going to be something that you're going to remember for the rest of your lives, that this was a very good intentional decision to make. And... Um, you know, this is this is a crowdsourcing endeavor that brings balance to a lot of people's lives. It, it eliminates the anxiety right now, what's going on in the rest of the world. And it allows you to basically empower yourself and to smile and to laugh and to have a good time again.
1: There's one other group I'd like to address who uh, I'm ju- I've am just realized this myself because of the issues we had uh, not being able to get to our destination a couple weeks ago. Um, I've been in aviation for a long time. I've been actually, I've been out of it for a long time, but I was in it very seriously. I had a heliport, I had, um, helicopter, uh, fractional ownership company. Um, I have my helicopter license. I have my fixed wing license. Uh, although I really haven't flown, I mean, for at least 10 years, I mean, a little bit with some friends hanging out, but not really for any travel. Cause that's, I'm, I'm not someone who wants to fly around and get a burger Uh, I want to go somewhere because I need to go there. Um, Our aviation system is broken in the United States. It is uh, all that is also partially intentional. Um, Our transportation secretary does not seem to be interested in, in how broken it is. Um, It used to be broken only the last three or four days of the month due to uh, just absolute lack of pilots. Um, And uh, that's gotten worse. Now it's spilling over basically the last week and the first week of, of every month is going to be cancellations and heartbreak. And it's just getting worse to the point where uh, airlines that kind of serve the regional areas, JetBlue uh, Southwest, uh, they're they're going to stop lying. They're going to stop saying it's weather and computer glitches. And they're just going to say, we can't fly these routes anymore. And that is, JetBlue has already announced 25 30% cut in what they're going to fly this summer because they don't have the staff. Um, uh, flight attendants are also now bailing. They're sick and tired of it. A lot of this does come down to the result of mandates, not necessarily um, um, that people were pro or anti, but just the, the whole struggle that it created and the, uh, uh, and the extra uh, intensity for, uh, for our aviation industry. It's still ongoing with, with masking. That is still a, a, an absolute issue but this is broken now it's broken and we, and it's going to be broken for us. It's going to be broken in the middle. Uh, everyone who needs to go New York, LA will be able to fly, uh, but everything else is going to become a challenge. And a lot of great aviators retired early, retired in disgust are just sick of the business, uh, but they're everywhere and they're very capable pilots. Uh, I myself am, uh, I've decided to get back into it. I'm going to get my instrument ticket, which you know, I had most of the training, but i uh, moved out of the country, divorced, all kinds of stuff, you know, that, that interrupts your, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes your ticketing process. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and I think that this will be critical for, uh, to the middle, it's, it's still not cheap, right? I mean, we're not going to get to the, uh, herbs, uh, cattle car, uh, you know, $99, wherever you need to go. That's also kind of over for Herb. Um, but the middle class uh, needs to be able to travel. We still need to be able to get places. You know, business owners need to be able to, to go af- places efficiently. And it's just not going to be, uh, there's going to be too much time involved. And this is kind of a throwback to the 70s and 80s as well. Flying used to be very, very normal in uh, in, in America. We have six, 7,000 little airports it was normal to hop in the plane and uh, and go see your your buddy or your neighbor or a business associate 2 3 hour flight away this is going to have to come back it also may be a way for us to effectively start to transport some of this beef um because i think i think when you even it out it may be better for the shorter travel time with uh, it's still, it's not it's not even that less efficient now these days with some of the smaller aircraft very they you know they can even take 94 octane um, you know, it, it it may start to make sense, but also for people. So uh, if you're in aviation or you know somebody, they should probably also come to this conference.
0: I love that because um... – You you ended that perfectly because one of the 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 pain points is you know we've talked about shipping, and you know the logistics of shipping, and you know the prohibition of travel that's going to happen, and the prohibition of shipping. You know, being that because if you're shipping meat, you know it's frozen, it's you know it's in vacuum sealed, uh, very secure usually have about 48 hours in that in that box that gets shipped in. And if we can basically bring some awareness into the shipping bottleneck that is created, you know, that is, you know, the shipping czars pretty much have. This is something that once again, here's some more uh, mass innovation of opportunity that we can really look at.
1: We know Um, we we don't we don't hesitate to put a a transplant heart into a cooler onto uh, onto a plane to get it to save one life. I see. We can save hundreds of lives with one beef transport flight there you have
0: it. I mean, cause that's what we're doing is we're saving lives with pure animal protein, yeah. you know, and man, that's it. This has been one of the best strategy sessions we've had. So I'm, yeah. When, you know, once the-
1: you're able to sit me down and I can get you into in one spot at the same time, it actually is kind of good. We're always calling each other from the car, cell phones to the Hill country. It's the dumbest thing. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah
0: it doesn't work, man. It, it's these You know, that reception out there. What do you have? Like three carriers that you have to switch to sometimes.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I actually have the 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 top 3 uh you uh-huh. know depending on where I am but that's mainly if I need to do a show or something and I need some 4G or whatever else then you sure. know I need, one of them usually works
0: <laughs> if you're lucky but um you break you bring back another reason I wanted to have the uh, the the conference in the Hill Country, because you know, a lot of people are probably going to come from Austin, of course, or San Antonio mm-hmm. or Texas in general. But getting out to Kerrville, you have to drive through the Hill Country. You have to go or you can go. I mean, let's bring back uh, the 70s in Lukenbach, Texas, Willie, Willie, Whalen and the boys, right? right? There's so many little gems in the Hill Country of Texas that people need to know that are out there that you can Go And, you know, if you can't fly to, you know, wherever you're trying to fly, you need to get in that car. You need to go do a road trip. And if you're in the state of Texas, we've got people coming from Illinois, Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, um, maybe Wyoming, Montana to this conference that, uh, you know, people have reached out and told me. Well, it's Excellent. time in the people in Texas, let's look at this as a time to get back and, you know, and take these road trips. Let's drive through those small towns. Let's and please, please
1: stop in Fredericksburg if you happen to go through it on your way. Stop at the Hilltop Cafe, you know, or or go to yeah. the Hitchin Post or, uh, you know, have a burger at Hondo's.
0: Yeah. in people that don't know about Fredericksburg, Texas, that is the big, that is the gem of Hill Country of Texas. And Adam knows that he has a lot of proof of work there. So he <laughs> knows what he's talking about. So, you know, yeah, you do. Fredericksburg is, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. You got the wineries out there, you know, they're just popping up left and right.
1: Um, well, we, we actually bring people from Austin who like to drink or, you know, or brides who are going to get married. I mean, we, we know what we're doing. We got pink limos driving through town to, to drive the girls around, but we have, we have beautiful B and B's, which is a big part of our community is, you know, Hey uh, we have a ranch, but we bought a, a house uh, right off of main street or in town. That's going to be for our kids in the future. In the meantime, it's going to be a revenue generator. Um, it's, it's a very, it's a very fun, and we have rules, you know, we get rules about uh, neon signs, no big box stores, all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff, which is really, that's what makes it so beautiful. I mean, Kerrville is, there's a lot going on in Kerrville, and I'm, I'm excited to start learn to, learning to explore it and what's there, um, but it's so different entering any, almost any city uh, or town, uh, except ones like Fredericksburg, and of course, there's many more. Where there's just some ordinances and, you know, and then when you remove the, the loud messaging, the signage, the yelling at you, and it's just storefronts and restaurants and people and nice wide streets, there's a calm that is so nice. It, it really is. You don't notice it until, until you witness it.
0: I love that because you don't. I mean, how how can people that are in these concrete jungles and everything, and you've lived in a lot of them. um, Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I escaped out of Austin. You know, I left Austin to get back to, you know, my roots here in in the Texas panhandle. But there is a sense of ease that comes over you. And what that is, it's a kind of um, it's a peace of mind that people don't know what they're missing. And, you know, I will, I'll refer back to Dr. Mary Carr, uh, care is, you know, the, and you've brought it up many times is the damn brain fog that we've got going on. And if you can get out to a place like Fredericksburg and you can, you can, you can hear the silence, hear yeah. the silence, yep. it does something for you. And, you know, the, these types of restaurants that, you know, that you, you bring up in, in Fredericksburg, I mean, I tell people there's a new international lifestyle and it's starting in the state of Texas and it's starting in small town, Texas. And that's the best way to look at it. It's like, let's go exploring together. Let's create this adventure together. And uh, you know, that's what we're doing and it's going to be a fun ride. And I'm,
1: I'm happy to be uh, in the sidecar. (laughs)
0: Well, I'm very uh, honored and proud to have you along, Adam. Um, You know, we're going to continue this discussion. This has just started. You said, you know, maybe it's a 10-month plan, a a 10-year plan. Well, this is definitely a 10-year plan that we've got going on now. And uh, yeah. we're, we need to bring everybody in. We need to get people involved with it because it is value for value at this time. You know, this is not about, you know, raising millions of do- hundreds of millions of dollars to do something. This is going to be grassroots and it'll yep. stay that way.
1: Yep. Time, talent and treasure. You need all three to raise the to raise the barn.
0: Yeah, you really do. Well, on that note, I uh, I hope you have safe travels uh, with, uh, you. you know, next week, whenever you have to travel and everything. Um, I'll be in the hill country next week. So we'll be talking more. Um, but beyond that let's do this whenever the conference is over with, let's do a, a regroup and say, Hey, this is what we've learned from this conference. And this is how we really, the announcements that are going to be made. And then we can kind of tease everybody with this strategy session. And then we can really give everybody a roadmap moving forward.
1: Great idea. I love it. I and too. and thank you again. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you to everyone who's been, been helping you. I know there's a, you surrounded yourself with some high quality people. I've been fortunate enough to meet some of them. I know I'll meet, everybody eventually uh uh georgia will be uh, easier for me uh and uh and congratulations on uh, on the podcast on this uh, this first video. I, i'm this is like no hitch It just perfect went off beautifully
0: well and i and ever it's rob it, you know I'm, I'm just bumping my gums here you know and it's all rob so it's <laughs> <laughs> it's that wonderful uh you know i guess the beef initiative is going to have a heck of a ton of a producers as well just like the no agenda
1: show right? you bet right. you, <laughs> you bet know, you bet
0: ranchers to everybody so thank you adam and uh, everybody else let's let's go ahead and plug uh knc cattle again knccattle.com cole bolton um let's uh let's support his uh protocol system of basically providing some of the best beef in the state of Texas. Okay, guys, we're going to see you next week at the beef initiative conference, Kerrville, Texas, April 23rd. Come get your tickets. Thanks, Adam.
1: Take care, brother. Thank you. All right. You too. Bye-bye.
0: Here at the beef initiative, we encourage all your ranchers out there to tell us who and where you are so we can let everybody know. They're looking for you. This time I'm shouting out KNC Cattle out of Austin, Texas. KNCCattle.com. Cole, he's a fourth-generational Texas rancher. He knows what he's doing.